Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name is Frank and let's get cracking. So today I am joined by Dave Smethurst once again. How are you doing, Dave? Oh, I'm in good form, Frank. I've been looking forward to this. It's a good start to the year where we try and say where we are and uh, what, and it should hopefully help inform us and the listeners of where we're going to, maybe where we'll go in the future. So I'm looking forward to this episode. I don't know if we can pull, it to, pull a lot of stuff together. Exactly, and it, it's uh, hot on the heels of your uh, star turn as the ghost of Christmas present, and <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of continuing that theme, isn't it, really? <laughs> so what we'll be attempting to do here with this episode is uh, pull together uh, all of the various strands that we've been sort of looking at over the last couple of years and have a, look, a bit of a look at what could be disclosed as a consequence of these investigations that are ongoing by Arrow and see what comes of all the the whistleblower testimony and whatnot. So just to quickly summarize for anybody who might not be up to speed with some of these terms and whatnot, Arrow is the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, and it's been set up as a result of members of Congress in the US of A pushing to get answers on the UFO or UAP topic. Now, UAP has been the go-to phrase in the last couple of years in the uh, legislative language, but also in the wider world, uh, where it's been taken up as kind of the name for these unidentifieds, which have been seen for decades around the world. Uh, more recently, UAP has actually changed from unidentified aerial phenomena to unidentified anomalous phenomena, which kind of covers all areas, whether that be under sea, in the aerospace domain, or even in space. And it, of course, covers objects which appears to be transmedium, which means that they can actually travel through those various domains uh, that I've just mentioned. So we'll also be discussing uh, some of the ideas that are presented in the Loose Threads article, which came out recently, which gives uh, a description of a loose affiliation of top scientists, military and IC personnel, and their attempts, which have been ongoing for decades, to get to the heart of what is truly known about by the US government when it comes to the UFO mystery. So we'll try and do this in three sections. The first one will be what could be out there to actually be uncovered. The second one, how is it all going to work with this NDAA process and and, uh, all that side of things? And the third one will be, so what are we likely to see come out in the years to come as a result of all of this? So we'll start off with number one, always a good place to start. Uh, the, The question of what may be out there to be uncovered. So we're hearing a lot recently about these new bits of legislation and to get to the bottom of this mystery and you know the the encouragement of whistleblowers to come forward about legacy ufo programs but what is actually known about by the u.s government ic and the military about all of this in the first place now of course we don't exactly know the loose affiliation probably know uh, a lot more about it than me and you dave two blokes from the north of england who've got an interest in this stuff but i think um the, the various folks involved in, in that sort of loose affiliation probably know quite a bit themselves, you know, to varying degrees as a result of their attempts to understand all of this going back decades. 
But what are some of the key points, do you think, of, of what's actually out there to be un- uncovered? Uh, a lot to go through, but I'll uh, hand it over to you, Dave. What do you reckon? Yeah, you're right, Frank. Essentially, what we're doing here, you're right, is we, we, we're thinking about what's the sausage meat? What does the sausage machine do to it? And then what does the sausages look like at the end? That's what we're going to try and do today, just based on what we know. So the first bit is, what is the sausage meat? I'm sorry, I'll lose that because the vegetarians might be offended by by that analogy. But anyway, uh, what is there to uncover? Now, the first thing we've got is these reverse engineering programs. Uh, We know that Chris Mellon's alluded to these and Jin Semivan about secret reverse engineering legacy programs that have gone on. Uh, within the government for some time in these secret programs. There's rumours of fraud, there's rumours of a load, but they, quite a lot of these programs have gone on. We've then got an allusion to the Wilson Davis notes, really, which is a, which is about, I suppose, a reverse engineering project, but it's quite specific, and it sort of it says there might be some secret stuff going on at Lockheed, which is a military defence contractor, and so you can see the connection to private industry there. You've also got some detailed test rumors of detailed testimony already given about locations and where the actual stuff is, and maybe including Eric Davis and others. And uh, the rumor, the talk is that the wording of the actual NDAA Act and the and the actual Twenty Three Act as well was based on this testimony, particularly the Twenty Three Act. So that's quite interesting uh, to think about. And then we've got Knapp and Mellon. And Carbell and a few of us saying there's a large number of whistleblowers waiting to testify. So that's the first thing, a lot of evidence about these reverse engineering programs. We've then got tracking of objects. I'm going to try and go through fairly quickly, Frank, because obviously lots to go through. But we've got tracking of objects where Chris Mellon and a few of us have talked about objects being tracked across all domains, uh, you know, the, going through air, water, space, and uh, also talking about mind-bending tech. And you'll remember the Senate Intelligence Committee said there was an exponential rise of these. So there's also been a big rise of objects and being observed. Then we've got talk about the core program group, which is quite important, which is people might think of this room as a Majestic 12 or Zodiac. But Mel in particular, a few of us have pointed to the DOE, maybe as the home of this and the US Air Force as a sort of partner. And the idea is this reverse engineering work has been done as secret DOE SAPS. Just dropping in just to clarify that SAPS stands for Special Access Programs, just in case anyone was wondering, as I don't think we exactly made that clear. So back to the show. And uh, the links to the US UF Air Force and private industry. Now, the DOE, uh, it's got an actual large military and scientific infrastructure already, which, which uh, uh, Zybel and Ramirez and uh, a few of other people have talked about but the key thing is they've got a limited accountability to, to Congress. So they've got means and the ability to cover it up. Now, it's also got a very large scientific function on, propul- on propulsion, and that's linked to the CIA function on science and the intelligence around science. So basically, we've heard a lot of talk from different people saying, if there is a core program, it maybe resides at the DOE as the home. And, and how it's made up is... You've got the DOE providing infrastructure and security, and the, you know they've got a military infrastructure as well there. You've got the US Air Force providing information on monitoring and maybe some of the SAP stuff. And you've got the CIA controlling the intelligence gathering and controlling getting out as well. 
and linked to that you've got private industries probably coming out with some of these saps so that's really uh that's quite important and quite formidable and as i say chris mellon and a few other people have hinted at that and interestingly recently in one of his responses to the recent uap report that's just come out chris again mentions the cia quite prominently in his comments and he keeps mentioning the doe us air force cia so i think there is so i think again the thing going and it's all this idea of these programs residing there and uh as i say they've been called mj12 or zodiac in the past these may never have existed but we have reasoned ourselves in the past there must have been some sort of thing if there is a core project going uh i think the next thing to look at is this loose threads idea now there's absolutely loads of this stuff and you've dealt with it in some detail yourself in in a very great podcast with omega point which would advise anybody to listen to so far it's fantastic that but anyway uh, we've got some of the stuff uh it, they talk about basically the thing that i want to focus on is this conflict between one and o's and in the nose this idea before people who've been involved in compartmentalized programs and have some knowledge but not been involved in the full picture so you've got people who want to know more and then you've got the in the nose who are actually in this core program and i think uh this conflict between the in the nose and the one and those has sort of produced, uh, basically produced this move for disclosure over the years, which we're now seeing coming to fruition in the legislation. But as it's progressed, it's sort of been going on from the 50s and it's produced a number of things. One's alternative information gathering, a uh, focus on remote viewing, looking at experience of contact, contact biological analysis. And you've got the core group maybe was tempted to use this info. So you've got this sort of strange crossover as well. As I say, there's a big ex big sort of insider movement to disclose on the back of this. And it's also confirmed the existence of this core group in some way. And we've sort of seen a bigger picture. There's a big cross-government infrastructure that almost lays across all the different arms in the military and intelligence community that controls the information. There's a lot of people within it, but it's all compartmentalised information so uh as i say i think it's likely that a lot of the witnesses we might see coming forward are going to come from some of these some of these core programs and, and from across the range of these things that have been happening so loose threads has really give us a lot of context for where the information might come from now we nearly finished on this section there's a couple of other things we've got lou elizando's book and a couple of other books which partly will make some major revelations could be put a lot of pressure on people at some point and we've got the ig complaint about wide-scale cover-ups and we heard from danny sheehan recently but there's an ig complaint looking at the intelligence community as well so that's ongoing as to how this information has been covered up and has covered up from congress and from the american people and finally things that aren't in scope i don't think we're going to be seeing stuff about consciousness and tricks to nature and all that other stuff around the more esoteric elements of the phenomenon i don't think that's on the cards probably won't see anything about abductions even though it's getting a lot more scope don't think we'll be looking at interdimensional beings or the crypto terrestrial stuff or things about our human origins these are hot topics but if we're looking at what's going to come out of the process i don't think they're quite in scope at the moment so uh, i think really the ndaa investigation is going to be on what the craft are what's the purpose and the motivation and that's going to be based on what the current monitoring says what the historical review is telling them that they're going to carry out 
and what the recovered tech, if they get any, may tell them. And as I say, the more esoteric stuff will be sort of kept, will be kept for later and be out of scope. Yeah, um, good summary. And I think uh, a point that I wanted to just pick up on a little bit there is the uh, the thing about Chris Mellon mentioning about things being tracked on, um, you know, objects being tracked on uh, multiple systems and in all domains, etc. cetera. Uh, what I wanted to add in particular is that, in my opinion, uh, Chris Mellon's response to my question at the Inquiry Anomalous event in New York recently was, was very interesting. I have mentioned this uh, on the pod before, but I thought it'd be a good good uh, moment to go back to it. So my question was, um, you have recently helped bring attention to some of the incredible sensor systems the US has, such as the Space Fence. Uh, is this because you think they are potentially good data sources, or are you personally aware of cases where UAP have been detected operating in space or underwater by these or other sensor systems? And Chris Mellon's answer strongly suggested to me that he is aware of these cases, probably directly as a result of his actual experience in his previous roles during his career. So John Ramirez had said recently that during his time working for the CIA, he actually wrote a memorandum for the Secretary of Defense which related to UAP being detected on a classified center platform. And if that is true, which I have no reason to doubt it, there's every chance that a memorandum could have gone to Mellon or at least gone across his desk during his time in the role of Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence. And also worth mentioning, I think the significance of that is that any any admission that UAP have been detected in space or under sea, especially if they show tic-tac-like movements, like five observable movements, characteristics, is that that dramatically reduces the likelihood that the Russia or China or any adversary. And I think Chris Mellon knows this, and I think he's been sort of directing the UFO researchers and wider community to ask that question for that for that very reason. And that's also the same reason it was very difficult for Mellon to to answer that question. Uh, it's you know the same reason that you know DOD officials would have struggled to answer it at a hearing. And I think Mellon knows that, and that's why he's been directing people to ask that question. And um, in other words, you know, there exists unambiguous data held by the US government, uh, our intelligence community, which confirms the existence of some kind of non-human origin UAP. Uh, and in my opinion, that's a, a really, really important area to keep looking into and asking questions about. So obviously we're talking about what is there out there to be uncovered. I think that's quite a significant point that there may well be pretty definitive data that, that proves the existence of some kind of non-human technology on this planet. And I think that's why Chris Mellon's been directing everybody to, to look into that area uh, a little bit more. So is there any uh, points you want to add to that, Dave, before we move on? No, I just thought it was, uh, it was, it's right, it was a smoking gun and it's very significant, uh, that point, but like you say, you can't, it's sort of, you can't say it's a drone or whatever. And it was great when you asked him that, Frank, because I was listening live and he, he was, I know it wasn't your intention to make him squirm, but he was squirming a bit, I must say. And uh, I wonder how he'd answer it now, as we'll get onto a bit later in the new. He seems to be a bit more open, but I think that's still pretty classified. So it, it's a key, it's a key, as I say, question. So you're right to highlight it, in my view, anyway. Yeah, it's, um, 
I mean, anybody who's not read the Chris Mellon article uh, where he outlines all of these, you know, amazing sensor systems that the US has got as well, highly recommend reading it. It's really interesting. Even if you're not interested in UFOs, it's pretty fascinating just to think the capabilities that they've actually got. And um, John Ramirez has talked about similar things as well, you know, the the satellite uh, imagery that they can produce and things like that. Um you know, it's like 10, 15, 20 years ahead of what you get on Google Earth. So imagine the the, the, the clarity of, of what they can observe. You know, I find it pretty hard to believe that they've not got some very good unambiguous data, um, you know. But the other thing, just a, a quick point I wanted to add. Um, as we record this, it's not long since the, uh, the, the new report came out and um, part of the kind of... Uh, the unfolding of that report coming out was that um, D. Dean Johnson actually posted that link to the uh, Sean Kirkpatrick presentation that he did. And in that presentation, there's a logo for Arrow as well, which is quite interesting. You know, you'd mentioned about like the the, the consciousness stuff and the nature of reality um, not coming out. I totally agree with you. I think that's going to be one of the last things that will um, that will get dealt with, you know, it's not an easy conversation to have, is it, you know, um, but it, it did just make me think of the fact that the motto that's actually um, on that logo, some have suggested that it that it ties in with some of that, you know, the consciousness and the nature of our reality and whatnot. I, I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to attempt the Latin version because <laughs> it's just going to be a, a, a not very good. <laughs> so I'll just read out the translation, which is um, the universe is changing our life is what our thoughts make it. So it, I suppose you know wow. it, it's just it's just vague enough to, um, to to mean quite a lot of things. And you know there are some pretty crazy things on patches and whatnot as well. And you have to be careful not going too far down any 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 lines of thinking uh, with these types of things. But it's quite interesting, isn't it? That an anomaly resolution office, which in the public facing reports that they generate is really vague and mentions balloons, that they would choose quite a profound quote like that to go on the patch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is is there anything that we can take from that as to where they think their investigations well, are going along? Well, term, well, you know? it links to that quantum nature of reality, doesn't it? And whether thought and consciousness act- activates matter or creates matter. It's right. You say it's really fundamental. I don't want to get too too far out on it, but you're right, Frank. It's quite a profound thing that I, I'd not spied that. So that's a really good spot, man. Yeah, pretty interesting and uh, cool patch. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I only saw it because uh, Ryan Graves had actually posted, um, you know, a, a screenshot of the of the logo, and uh, yeah, sorts of. Sort of gives me a bit of hope that uh, you know behind the scenes, despite what what's being mentioned in the public reports and whatnot, maybe they're maybe they're really sort of thinking about some out there possibilities with all of this, and uh, they're just not quite willing to put that into the the public side of it just yet. But I think unless you've got anything to add, we'll move on to the the part two. That's fine, Frank. Yeah, let's do it. So part two is going to be a bit more about the actual mechanics of the NDAA process. How is it actually all going to work with this new Arrow office and the whistleblower protections and whatnot? Um, before we get stuck into that, I think it's important to point uh, point out to people uh, that you know the people that are coming forward to report things to a UAP office isn't necessarily anything brand new. I mean, we've we've heard from uh, various people 
working as part of this effort for years now that they've been trying to encourage people, or at least so they say, to come to this office with testimony about sightings, etc. And what is new in this legislation is actually kind of a strengthened reporting mechanism with protections and the secure system as well, which is the channel specifically for the most sensitive information to go through. I know you'll, you'll pick up on this, Dave, and add, add your thoughts to it all as well and go in a bit more detail. But Scott Bray had said at the hearings uh, that as well as the initial 144 reports mentioned in the UAP task force report, that they had received hundreds more as a result of encouraging people to report their sightings. And this has now been confirmed with that release of the latest uh, report, which came out uh, just uh, just the other day at the time that we record this. And uh, now that's confirmed that there's been hundreds of new cases bringing the total up to 510. And he also said that some of these were uh, historic reports and, and perhaps don't have as many data points and therefore would be harder to resolve, which again, has kind of proven to be accurate. Now we can see a bit more in this most recent report about the numbers uh, and, and, and the details. So anyway, getting back on track, uh, the key point here is there's uh, you know multiple ways that people within the military and IC intelligence community can come forward. So the first is just a regular sighting report submitted to our role, which, as I mentioned earlier, could be a photo, a video, or sometimes just a word-of-mouth testimony. Our role then look at it, file it, and try and figure out if there's a prosaic explanation. The second way could be people like Eric Davis, Lou Elizondo, or Bob Salas, who may come to our role with a more in-depth report about their experiences um, during their time working in the military or the, the IC or whatever. Uh, Salas famously was on duty at Malmstrom Air Force Base when a UFO appeared overhead and all of their nuclear missiles went off offline at the same time. And Salas actually posted on Twitter that, uh, quote, recently I've been contacted to give testimony to Arrow on 1967 Malmstrom Air Force Base UFO incidents. Also have helped provide names of other UFO nukes witnesses for Arrow testimony. I anticipate these will be given in early 2023. Now, it's unclear whether there will be anything going through the secure system from these testimonies, but very interesting and good that Arrow are actually listening to these important cases, uh, especially considering Bray and Moultrie claimed never to have even heard of the case at the hearings. So that's a step in the right direction. Um, and also, strange synchronicity, when I went on Twitter yesterday to actually find that quote, um, on, on Bob Salas's uh, profile. As I opened Twitter, I had a notification that Bob Salas followed me on Twitter, which is quite weird. So if you, I don't know if you're listening, Bob, but welcome if you are. <laughs> so anyway, the third way that people could come forward to our own, this is the most significant, in my opinion, is that people can utilize a, a secure system to come forward to our own with details of uh, UFO-related programs, particularly uh, particularly interesting there would be uh, reverse engineering and crash retrieval programs. So obviously Christopher Mellon and uh, Dr. Gary Nolan, as well as a few others have suggested that they've spoken to people interested in coming forward via this secure system. And, and what I'm hearing is that these are people not necessarily known by the UFO community. It's not like your Elizondo or your, your Bob Salas, but rather people who've had direct knowledge of actually working on reverse engineering programs or crash retrieval programs. And of course, it's unclear how much of this type of thing will become available to the public. 
but it's as Chris Mellon said in his recent article, it's unlikely they could keep a lid on that for very long if that turns out to be true. Um, so, yeah, many different ways people can actually come forward to Arrow, and I think sometimes a little bit of the nuances of those get lost on, on, on UFO Twitter and whatnot, so I thought it would be worth going through. Now, the other thing to know is that Arrow is also the latest in a long line of UAP office names, which has progressed from the UAP task force to the AIM, SOG, AOIMSG, and uh, then it was rumoured to be changing to the UAP JPO, the Joint Programme Office, and now we've ended up settling on Arrow. So again, um, a, a lot of confusion about all these different names. Hopefully that clears that up. So here we are um, in, the, in the present day. We've got the Arrow Office. We've got all of these different ways that people could be coming forward. So how do you foresee that all of this is going to unfold with Arrow then, Dave? What do you reckon, mate? Well, I'm glad you've done all that, Frank, because this is a bit more speculative because we don't know all the nuances of how it's going to work behind the scenes because that's not been quite clear. So all we try to see, if we continue with my terrible sausage analogy, uh, we're just going to see how the sausage machine might be calibrated a little bit and what it might produce. So I think that, so a lot of what you said there, so I, this won't be too long, but the first thing is that, to recognise is the Arrow office and the, the director of Arrow, which is Sean Kirkpatrick in this case, have become much more powerful. Uh, in, and firstly, because they've, they've got a lot more power to demand cooperation from other agencies due to the legislation. They also will be producing annual and quarterly reports, so there's going to be a need for more and better information and a more frequent information exchange. And given they're more powerful, we might see more stuff being fed into the machine, as it were. More specifically, the reporting... Sean Kirkpatrick reports directly to the heads of the defence, uh, the defence intelligence and the intelligence department. So that's Kathleen Hicks and the intelligence. I think once she's the deputy, let me have a look at this. I've got some notes here. Kathleen Hicks is the deputy director of defence, and we've got Stacey Dixon, who's the principal deputy director of national intelligence. The point is, they're the direct heads of that function in those contexts. And that bypasses uh, OUSD, which is Sean, which is uh, what's Moultrie, Ronald Moultrie. And so that means they're out of the loop, OUSD. And if, we, if, as we suspect, they've been putting the fix in, slowing things down, you know, causing problems, that Sean Kirkpatrick's answering directly to them. So that means, that means, hey, he's got their power behind him and also he's not hampered uh, as well. Also, all the agencies are going to send a liaison officer to... Uh, help Arrow, so there's a direct connection there for the information gathering. And uh, the other key thing is Sean Kirkpatrick's got to report non-compliance to all, he's got to report to all the different committees and he's got to, he's got to report non-compliance. He's also got to report progress, but non-compliance. And if he doesn't uh, report it, he's in trouble. So he's got to do that. So uh, I, I think... Uh, the other thing to consider is that because the historical review is looking at misinformation, I think that de facto means misinformation and attempts to do that anymore are off bounds. So that's quite important, you know, in the, uh, you know, you know, in the, uh, that sort of behavior and being misleading. And if they're talking to Sean Kirkpatrick, text in a slightly different use. So basically, the Arrow Office has got a lot more power to get more information. And if we think about all the stuff we said's out there, that is going to help uncover that, really, which is quite important. In terms of what info it's going to get, well, this is very much what you covered. Uh, the data, I think, there's two types. There's going to be historical data, and there's data that's just been started to be collated 
which is probably about three years ago, really. So that's going to be essentially, as you were saying, witnesses and all the monitoring equipment data. Any crash craft or other material eventually that's handing over, that'll be that. And it's be reports from past and present personnel. And they're going to do that via a secure system. It might be checking their list of, uh, you know, programs, SAP programs and other intelligence programs. Also checking the NDAs, people's non-disclosure agreements, to see who was on what program. And I think they're going to, uh, they're basically going to proactively sort those records and ask people to come in and see them. Or you might get people who you were talking about, whistleblowers coming forward. So we'll have that process. Just remember, and I think you might, you probably know a bit more about this than me, Frank. Uh, people have been talking a bit about special access programs being out of bounds and they won't be considered. That's only if they've been properly reported to Congress. If they haven't, they're fair game. So that's quite important. So basically, any, anything that's not been reported to Congress, and apparently there's not been any, uh, they've got to be reported within 72 hours. So that's quite important, that. And uh, as I say, so you've got all these things that are going to be happening, and I think there'll be a proactive search of people being brought in for questioning. Questions a bit harsh, you know, interviews. And there'll be people coming forward, and they'll be reviewing all this information. So it's going to be there's going to be quite a lot of... Uh, information and the next thing and maybe the final bit really that i just wanted to touch on was what's that going to mean i think it's going to prompt some sort of kinds of hearings and congressional oversight and i think there's going to be two types there'll be briefings to committees about what they've uncovered and whether the committee wants to take any action and tell them what's going on and then there'll also be more discovery type more inquisitorial hearings if they think there's some wrongdoing going on and if there's any further action needs to be taken and I think if things that come to light where there's been, you know, misconduct in a public office or the public have been misled or mis just general misconduct, that might trigger private hearings or even public hearings if it's an abuse of power. So uh, I, I think uh, that could be quite significant. So we see this information gathering and that could well be the trigger that we see for hearings or for briefings to Congress. And that's how the information will trickle across and we'll start to see the accountability, and that will in turn drive what we start to see coming out, I think. Uh, and uh, as I say, the other thing that will probably happen is that any materials that are identified will be passed on to the relevant scientific or intelligence agencies to study, and then they'll come back and report that. So that's quite important as well. So uh, I think it's going to be very hard for agencies not to reveal stuff, it's going to be pretty hard for the arrowhead not to either produce what they're supposed to or to say there's been a barrier to explain why that's not happened. And the whole NDA framework is aimed at getting a good assessment of the phenomenon and really identifying these legacy programs. So that's just a brief glimpse of how it's going to work. We're going to get all this information assessed and then and it's again aiming at these legacy programs. It's got quite a specific target based on what we think the testimony has been already. So. I don't, obviously, there's a lot more to it than that, but hopefully that gives a flavour of how it might work, the process. Yeah, spot on, mate. And I think uh, one thing that I did want to go back to uh, that you mentioned earlier, um, I made a few notes about this, uh, kind of something I think is a really important point. 
there's been a bit of confusion regarding this particular part of the legislation on Twitter and whatnot. And and look, at the end of the day, legislation is pretty confusing. I'm, I'm certainly not like a congressional lawyer or anything, um, you know, far from it. But I've read through the whole text a few times, really tried to get my head around it. And if there was any bits that I didn't understand, I kind of went and reached out to people who were a bit more knowledgeable than myself in that uh, particular area. And I think the the misunderstanding that I'm talking about is the that this legislation is kind of all very well and good, but SAPs are exempt, so we're not going to get anything uh, anything important in terms of secret programs and whatnot. Um, but as you say, uh, Dave, there, that's actually kind of not really how I interpreted the wording. It's the the way that I would summarise it is that there are some built in protections for you know secret SAPs which are dealing with experimental new technology and whatnot, which might get into crossovers with national security issues. Um, for example, if a, a new like disc-shaped drone, for example, is being tested uh, or some kind of strange shape of any type, and a non-Reading military personnel sees this near a base they're on, for example, they might report that to Arrow. And there needs to be a mechanism to stop unnecessary spread of information about very tightly controlled projects because at the end of the day you know if we're being reasonable we don't want information getting to those who may seek to do us harm as they say you know such as adversarial nations and whatnot um so there's a particular bit of the wording that 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 refers to and i'll just read it out some of this would be quite long but i think it's worth going through the detail so quote protection of systems programs and activity Secretary shall ensure that the mechanism for authorised reporting established under paragraph one presents the unauthorised public reporting or compromise of classified military and intelligence systems, programmes and related activity, including all categories and levels of special access and compartmented access programmes. And then it goes on. Sharing of information, prompt sharing within office. The Secretary shall ensure that the mechanism for authorised reporting established under paragraph 1 provides for the sharing of an authorised disclosure to personnel and supporting analysts and scientists of the office, regardless of the classification of information contained in the disclosure or any non-disclosure agreements, unless the employees or contractors administering the mechanism under paragraph 3 conclude that the preponderance of information available regarding the disclosure indicates that the observed object and associated events and activities likely relate to a special access program or compartmented access program that, as of the date of the disclosure, has been explicitly and clearly reported to the Congressional Defence Committees or the Congressional Intelligence Committees and is documented as meeting those criteria. Now, the significant points here are that, first of all, no, as you said, Dave, no UFO-related SAPs have been reported to Congress. Christopher Mellon said himself that he took part in a review of all the SAPs and that he never came across anything UFO or UAP-related. Now, there perhaps were some that he didn't get full access to, you know, but that's what Chris Mellon is on record as having said. So that basically means that whatever saps are alleged to exist are potentially outside of that congressional oversight system 
And the key point there is that this bit of wording is to prevent the spread of information about top secret national security programs rather than to wriggle out of giving UFO information to Congress. For example, if somebody reports a sighting and, and takes video of a you know classified experimental vehicle being tested or something, and you know to quote the legislation again, quote preponderance of information available regarding the disclosure indicates that the observed object and associated events and activities likely relate to a special access program or compartmented access program that, as of the date of the disclosure, has been explicitly and clearly reported to the congressional defense committees. Unquote. Then they can basically conclude that Arrow don't need to investigate that any further as it's not a UFO, it's our own tech. So that's key in my opinion because the legislation has been put together with input of people like Chris Mellon, you know, specifically to get to the bottom of whether these UFO and reverse engineering programs exist. So we don't really think that Chris would have been celebrating the legislation going through the way that he has if any and all UFO saps were exempt from it, you know, um, so I don't think that, that that's what it is, you know. But that is my interpretation of the language. So I did reach out, as I mentioned earlier, to somebody who might be a bit more knowledgeable in that area, namely D. Dean Johnson, the resident right. legislation expert on UFO Twitter. Fantastic. And, be, and beyond these days, he's getting about a bit. <laughs> so I asked him about this, and here is his response. I mentioned this on the roundtable. There's a bit that I missed, though, so I thought I'd read it out in full. So, uh, quote, the protections, non-reprisal, etc., apply to everybody who utilizes the system. If somebody came in and said, I worked on this secret program that had captured, that had a captured UFO, the cleared people running the secure system would then check the list to see if that project had ever been properly notified to the designated congressional committees as required by law. It won't take long because there are no secret UFO, UFO programs ever so reported to Congress. So at that point, if they find that the information checks out and is credible, the DOD must report the discovered secret SAP to the appropriate congressional committees within 72 hours. And he goes on to say, there are no kinds of SAPs that are exempt under this proposed law. doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? Um, you know, so he says, yeah, there are no kinds of SAPs that are exempt under this proposed law. If there is a UFO-related program, and the language of the bill defines that broadly, then if it comes to the notice of this new system, it must be reported to the congressional committees, and then they decide how to proceed. And he also goes on to say, also in my understanding, there are no types of SAPs for which some type of congressional notification is not required, although the exact recipients de depends on what agency is running the SAP and what level of secrecy they impose on it. As far as Congress is concerned, current law does not allow any invisible SAPs. So I'd say that's fairly clear that no waived or carved out SAPs would be exempt from this legislation. In fact, rather the opposite. Actually, the legislation seems, again, my opinion, specifically designed to actually smoke out these waived or carved out SAPs. Um, however, I suppose, you know, it's worth mentioning, I do hear people's kind of thoughts on saying that even if that is the case, what I've just said there, it could still be a potential area that like obfuscators could use to wriggle out. And at the end of the day, there are always loopholes if you look hard enough. The big question I sort of have around this is, 
you know, if there is a carved out program like that that's been allowed to operate, you know, invisibly, you know, if a, if a former president granted total legal immunity for a program due to the nature of what was discovered, they may have granted an exemption from any future legal proceedings, which would mean it might potentially be exempt from things like this legislation. I mean, it does sound a bit far-fetched, that, but at the end of the day, we are talking about potential non-human technology being held by a secret program. I mean, who knows what lengths they might be prepared to go to in order to keep that from the public and from adversaries and whatnot. But the thing is, at the end of the day, this is probably going to be the best chance so far for the last 70 years in terms of getting answers uh, getting answers as to what's going on here. And I suppose we should probably count our blessings and see what comes of it, eh? Um, so any bits you want to add on all of that, Dave, before we crack on with the next bit? No, Frank, I, I know it might seem a bit long to people you've gone about, but I think it's really, really important because we've heard a lot of misconceptions about that. People thinking this out and it's vital. And what it'll mean is all these people have been keeping things secret are going to be hoist by their own petard, thinking they were clever, and I'm sure there's other reasons for it, not telling Congress and operating outside of the, the rules. Now they're going to have to, if they haven't told Congress, they're going to have to fess up, basically, or face the consequences. And it's an interesting legal point. Uh, I don't think, and because the, the consensus seems to be a visa illegal, no matter if they think they're going to probably cling to whatever authorization they may have got. But I don't think that'll, I think it's unconstitutional fundamentally. From what I've heard, I'm not a constitution, just from people who do know, I don't think that'll pass past the smell test and I think they might end up getting the collar felt for that. But we'll have to we'll have to see. But I so it's real I'm glad you've gone into that in that detail, Frank, because it's very important to uh, you know uh, to, to for people to get their heads around. And it's what we've heard from the start in fairness. It's just how it's come out in the process. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's just, you know, I'm just kind of really keen to understand that the thing about legacy programs and reverse engineering crash retrieval programs and whatnot is something that I'm like super fascinated by and you know because of that i really did think it was worth trying to understand exactly what's meant by you know rsaps exempt and things like that and sometimes you know we're all quite eager to understand what's going on but things can you know certain threads can develop on ufo twitter and things start to go around and the waters can become muddied and you know who knows perhaps there's even deliberate muddying of the waters in some regards to confuse people and so it's always good to go through and, and get that clarity um so yeah hopefully that helps you know some some people who are listening as well to 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 understand it all so moving on to the the part three um which is what may come out what are we likely to see sort of unfold in the coming years as a result of this progress that we're seeing happen today before our very eyes so I'll just let you run with it, Dave. What do you reckon, first of all? Yeah, well, I think it's a bit more speculative, Frank, uh, obviously, but we don't know. So it's about what the, to carry on. I'm going to carry on with this terrible analogy, no matter what. What are the sausages going to look like in this case, I suppose? And I think, uh, basically, the first thing is to think about is the change in the mood music. Uh, and we've definitely seen, since the legislation was passed, a big shift in gear from Chris Mellon and other people, and they've obviously felt more empowered by the fact that some things, you know, this historical review, things are definitely uh, legally entitled to be looked into now. And you see that a lot, I think, in American politics with legislation. Even though it might not directly connect to that, it has a big sort of effect throughout the system of giving some sort of legal force to that. 
And I think they were very clever, the likes of Lou, Chris, and a few other people. They were going, oh, yes, that's fine. They were playing, they were playing it quiet, being making nice noises to all the people who we think are responsible for not disclosing anything. I don't want to disclose anything. Almost playing dead. But uh, then since the legislation came out, there's been a big sea change. So I think we, we might see more practically this new approach reflected in future UAP reports, obviously not in this particular one, but uh, you know that may be for specific reasons around whether they were able to do it in time. But they will probably be a key barometer in terms of where we're going on this subject, where we close this gap between what Chrissy said in the legacy programs and what's being currently reported. I think Mellon's also hinted at greater public openness. He said he talked to she said it to Gillibrand, she said, of course we'll reveal it. So that is people have said, well, will we ever hear about it? Well, maybe, yes, maybe you will hear about it now. Because I was talking in the previous section about close hearings and open ones. There seems to be a desire for more openness. And I think uh, we, we're seeing that there's been a lot of hints from a lot of people, Corbell, George Knapp, a few people, uh, Lou, about more information in terms of hearings to come and whistleblowers coming forward and all the rest of it, as I mentioned earlier. So the move music's definitely changed around what may be coming out. And I think the point is the legislation has sort of changed the playing field, really, in what's fair game and about the openness. So I think that's quite significant. So what this might result in, I suppose, is we might see more closed whistleblower hearings coming up and discovery of actual materials. That might actually happen this time now. And it may prompt the big push for a, for a public hearing uh, even before the historical review. So we might, if something comes out in the Congress, people think there's been an abuse of power or people need to know, that might actually beat the historical review to it. We might see more of a unstructured free-for-all there, and that might be quite interesting. I think we might say three classes of whistleblower coming forward if we do get that. We might have what we might call the informed one and o's, the likes of Eric Davis, and maybe Lou Elizondo coming forward saying what their experience has been looking through the sort of opaque glass and what's been happening or just being, you know, part of what's been happening. We might say people who we've never heard of who worked on core programs who've actually worked on these projects, they may come forward. And we might possibly, although I may be being a bit ambitious here, we might see some of the core program managers or people who have been part of that process, not maybe in the inner circle, but pretty close to it, we may also come forward once we see which way the wind's blowing. So we might see in that order those people coming forward. As I say, I think at first it might be the Elizandos, and then we might see the unknown people, and then perhaps the managers, if the significant momentum and balance of power changes in the process. I think uh, the level of deception that may come out may prompt some sort of Watergate-type hearings I mean, Lou hinted at church type things, but it's the same sort of thing where you have a prosecutor, you have lawyers making a case, and it's a big formal hearing like you, you see in films like The Godfather or other things where there's these big hint, hint hearings. And we might see that, but that would take a lot of setting up. And we've talked about that in the past. We talked with Frank Milburn about that, if you remember about what it might look like. And so that that's quite interesting as well. We might see, see to that uh, coming out. We might also see, due to the pressure, Arrow, may pursue things very, very vigorously. We've got the OUSDI missing. You can see where some of these elements I was talking about coming in now. They might be forced to do that as well. We might also see Lou's book, as I was alluding to, and the IG report sort of adding to this. 
And so we might see this steady growth in revelations also putting more pressure on. Uh, but I think it's still going to be all focused on the UAP tech, if there is any, and the legacy programs and the reverse engineering. I think that's probably what we're, what we're still going to see. But that brings us quite nicely to the question of how much disclosure, what is disclosure going to mean? Because that's the sort of key question here. And we've talked previously on a couple of shows and about what the levels of disclosure are going to be. It's quite interesting. And we've identified four, just to simplify it. It's just the first one might be confirmation, but there's something there, pictures, you know, all the rest of it. The second might be the discovery of craft and materials, bodies, that sort of stuff, which in itself would be absolutely major. That would be the major rubric and the major threshold, I think. Once you've got that, as Richard Dolan says, the rubber hits the road at that point. There's no going back at that point. You know, you might dispute a picture, but you can't dispute, you know, the sport model sitting in the middle of the Congress where everybody's looking at it. The next level of disclosure, a bit more interesting, is if there's been any communication going on with the others, whatever they are, and what that's meant, has there been any agreements, deals, what's gone on. And then the final level of disclosure will be what is the context? What is the context of the existential? What's our relationship? What does it mean for the nature of reality? What's the strategic relationship? What's our place in the food chain? That's the overall context of the whole relationship. So there's four levels of disclosure. And the question is, how far will this NDA take us on that journey? And I think it's likely we might see confirmation stuff, i.e. information, pictures, you know, recordings, data. And we may see a partial bit of the craft, something like that. But I personally don't think it's going to go beyond sort of uh, beyond those two. We would be unlikely to hear about evidence of any communication or anything about the nature of reality and the context, because that might be too much for people. Uh, and I think even maybe the people who are pushing for disclosure, the losing Chris Mellons, might not want to see those higher levels come forward. Uh, now, finally, I think that, not finally, but it does bring us on to this whole issue of accountability versus sort of national security, because we always hear that, what should we keep secret? Now, I think you can report the facts in such a way as to not, you know, reveal sources and methods and technical intelligence. So the real question is, is, what is the government really comfortable telling the public about? So I think the use sources of methods sometimes is a bit of a shield to not tell people stuff. And I think it's about it's really about an argument around accountability and the right to know. In a democratic society, what do you need to know? And what should you be told? And what? Because if you get secret groups of people making decisions on really important matters you're not aware of, they could make the wrong call. And historically, they have narrow thinking, these groups, and they do take narrow decisions, as has been shown in history in various examples. But on the other side of it, you've got this idea of public interest. They may be thinking the population may be really shocked, ontological shock, I think the phrase is about the nature of reality. It could really destabilise society and even prompt the collapse of order. So that's an interesting, that's quite an important thing to think about as well. And it may be some sort of big, terrible secret they might want to tell us. So that might be a consideration. This idea of the public interest and what can we tell people is quite, is it the only thing I can see that you would put against public accountability? But I think most people would say, and Lou seems to certainly say, maybe not on these matters, but generally it's better to talk about it. And I think that's what's prompted this whole thing within the, the military and the people who wanted disclosure that they thought that a too narrow a group were making decisions about this 
whole phenomenon and it needed to be broadened out. Now, how far do you want to broaden it out is probably what I've been alluding to just in these last few remarks. But the other thing, just to throw a little curveball in at the end, is there may be a big event coming. I mean, John Rivera, Rivera has hinted at this 2027. I know it may be nothing we hear about all the, the end, you know, terrible things all the time or whatever, but he was saying there may be some event coming. There may be, there may be some reveal event, maybe from the others, and we're preparing for it. And that's what he's heard. And he didn't say that from his mates who are in the UFO community, he, which he, he said he's heard that from his intelligence contacts. Uh, so that is a really important thing, and that might be another driver that we don't know about. So, again, if there was some event like that coming, assuming it's not a cataclysm where they might not tell us because it would just blow society, or, you know, destroy society's order. But if it's something like that, maybe we are being prepared and we don't know. It doesn't feel like that to me, though, I must be honest. So I think the final, the, the final sort of thoughts on all that section is I think we're going to see a focus on... Uh, the legacy programs really in all this process from what it, what we're seeing at the start to what comes out of the machine. And it's more a battering ram to try and open up the other, air, other areas. I don't think it's unclear how far we're going to go down the line. And you were sort of alluding to that, Frank. We might not get further down, much down that line of, of the other things I mentioned earlier. But once the genie's out of the bottle, as it were, or what is it, the toothpaste out of the tube, it may be very hard to contain. And as you know, when you look into it, as we've looked into it, as just as people, you very soon get into these other areas and they're hard to avoid just real logical questioning. So for me, I think the, the sausages are very much going to be uh, legacy program shaped, as it were. Uh, but uh, there'll be some interesting about, the, you know, what they're going to be like. And uh, I'll stop this stupid ad, you know. Uh, but basically, I think it's going to be focused around those outputs. But that's quite a lot to go at, Frank, and it's quite an intriguing possibility. So there we go. Yeah, really interesting thoughts, mate. And if anybody's interested in buying uh, Dave Smethurst's special recipe sausages, you can get them on <laughs> davesmethurst.com. Um, but no, joking, yeah, joking aside, <laughs> the, um, the the four levels of disclosure is really interesting uh, concept. I know we've spoke about that, and you've mentioned it on the show before. Um, I know a few, a few other people have mentioned something. They find that a really interesting uh, way of looking at it. You know, the, the idea that the first level is, you know, just confirmation, video footage, photographs and things like that, that basically then leads on to the next thing, which is, well, have we got actual materials then and physical actual evidence of something you can hold in your hand and say, well, this clearly isn't from here. And then the next logical question, if that was ever revealed to the public, would be, okay, so have we ever tried to speak to them? That's kind of the, the, the next, you know, thing that people would ask, isn't it, sort of thing, and they'd have to come up with an answer for that and, you know, decide whether to reveal whether there has been any attempts at communication or actual communication or continuous lines of communication open. And then obviously, if there has been some kind of communication with a very advanced non-human intelligence, what have we learned from that? Like, does it give us any kind of indication about the fourth level of disclosure, which is, you know, the actual nature of reality and have we learned anything about you know the universe and where we fit in that universe as a result of those communications so yeah i think it's a very very uh, interesting four levels concept that and um just uh, you mentioned earlier about lou elizondo's book i'd chosen a couple of uh lou elizondo tweets that i thought we could uh, conclude with Brilliant. which is quite interesting because again as we record this the episode i think will go out 
in a in a week or so. But we're recording this the day after the actual UAP report came out, and Luella Zondo had taken to Twitter and uh, fired off a few uh, tweets. So, um, one thing is about the book. Somebody had asked him, um, "When's the book coming?" And I get asked this all the time, you know. People, I think people think I've got Luella Zondo on speed <laughs> dial or something. People message me like, when's Lou's book coming out? Well, lucky for you, Luella Zondo responded to somebody's tweet about that. And he said, um, hoping by the end of the year it will not disappoint. So that's wow. very interesting. Um, we know that Lou's book could be coming this year. Also, um, he also said that it's 2023 it will be a great year for this topic. Uh, that's in a separate tweet. So that's interesting. Lou, Lou seems to think that this is going to be a very exciting year and the book is coming out. It makes me kind of wonder like whether he's waiting for a specific thing to happen. Um, you know, before the book comes out, you know, it's not exactly clear, but we'll we'll soon see. And um another uh, very interesting tweet was Lou's talked about the the levels of uh, are the the process of disclosure being like the gears um on a car. And uh, he mentioned that years ago now, and he's, he's talked about the, you know, one thing has to be complete before you move on to the next one and so on. And uh, he replied to our friend, uh, Graham Rendell, and uh, he said, see you soon, my friend in the UK, ready to shift gears. See you at the Red Lion. So very interesting. Um, sorry about that. My phone just rang momentarily there. Um, but yeah, very interesting. It wasn't Lou Elizondo, just in case anybody <laughs> was wondering. Although anytime you want to call Lou, give us a, <laughs> give us a shout, mate. Um, so yeah, very interesting comments there from Lou Elizondo. And uh, we shall see what this next gear we're about to shift into uh, is all about uh, in due course, I would imagine. Apparently it's going to be a good year and we're going to be treated to Lou Elizondo's book at some stage. So hopefully I'll be able to get that in my Christmas stocking for next year. And uh, it's going to be interesting when I do the Christmas episode at the end of 2023 to look back at the, at the speculation that we've done today and see how much of it we were accurate with. And, and, and yeah, I've got a feeling we'll have a lot to talk about by uh, by next Christmas. So what do you reckon, mate? Any bits to add before no, we finish? I'm, I just remember when he said that, he said, when, when people see when I've written it, they think, oh, how clever you are. Now, he's not a boastful man. Well, I didn't think he was saying how clever he was as a person, but clearly, as you say, Frank, his book is probably tied to an event or something that explains something. So I think that's a really good point. And yeah, he'll be there with Graham, you know, having it large with Graham down in the red line, I think it was, wasn't it? So that'll be quite good. But I think more seriously, I'm glad we've managed to do this because we've been talking, we were talking about this before Christmas, really, uh, this, this sort of run through. And hopefully, people have found it helpful because sets the tone for me for what's going to happen over this year. I mean, I'm not saying we've covered it all, but at least it gives people context and something to, because there's been so much happening, so many loose threads, as it were, you know, pardon the pun, as it were. But uh, And I think this has been, a, for me, it's been really enjoyable to go through with you just what, where we are. And because obviously things are happening now, the report's just come out, and I just think it's going to keep coming, Frank. So uh, hopefully people find it useful. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they will. Um, I often, you know, get messages off people saying that they really enjoy when we do these kinds of things, and it's also very good f for us as well to go through and yeah. summarize and be able to kind of just go through and, and organize our thoughts about it as well. So, um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been really good fun, and just like to say thanks very much for joining me once again, Dave. And I think we'll leave it there. Thanks a lot. I really enjoyed it, mate. Great to talk to you. Speak soon. I'm sure. 
UFO Thinker Podcast.